You know, it's just amazing to be here, isn't it? To be women together here and to be singing those words, Jesus Christ, my living hope. And I believe God really wants to meet with us today. I do believe that he wants to come and do something more in our hearts and our lives. Because I know that we're all here because we're desperate for more of God. And we've been praying that in the prayer room and been very, very aware that God is longing for us to come. You know, we're coming to him, longing for him, but he's longing for us. He wants to meet with us in a very special way today. And last week we were looking at how God really wants to set us free from jealousies and bitterness and all that stuff that we looked at last week that was between Saul and, and David and how Saul was so full of bitterness uh, that it just became a real problem for him. And we looked at how the enemy will use bitterness to kind of uh, fill us with almost like with cement it will kind of it'll settle in us and become we become like frozen our, our our emotions and our and and all that's going on inside us the enemy wants to to use jealousies and bitterness and neediness to actually turn against us and actually freeze us up inside that we can't enjoy God and that we just become bitter women. And we looked at how bitterness is what destroys, it actually rusts us. You know when you see something that's rusted up and that's what the enemy wants to do because he doesn't want us to flow under the oil of God's anointing, he wants to rust us up. And so we looked at that last week but I was just very, very conscious that uh, whilst I really know that God spoke to us last week through that, I feel we're moving into something now that God's saying, but yeah, that's all true and I want to set you free from that. But I felt like God was saying, but I want you to know that I don't want to bring you into shame. I don't want, I don't want you to ricochet from you know, all those negative feelings into some kind of shame. I felt like God was saying, no, you know, I, I want you to know who you are. I want you to know in the tr- to understand and, and walk in the truth of who I have made you to be. And that is a woman of God. That is to stand tall and stand in your authority and stand in your beauty and stand and be the woman that God has created you to be, free of all of this stuff. And so as we continue with this story of Saul and... Sorry, Saul's now long gone, not Saul. He's dead. (laughs) He's he's a goner. We're continuing on now with David. And you know, over the last week or two, we've seen how after the death of Saul... How David was crowned king by his own tribe, the tribe of Judah. And we were reminded last week that, that Judah is, uh, Jesus sprung out of the tribe of Judah. Because really we're talking about David, but really it's David's greater son that we're inter- interested in, isn't it? And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, and in the prayer room today, we just felt like letting out a roar of victory because our king is victorious. Our king has overcome. He has, he has won the victory for us already. And so here's David. And, and, and at this stage, he's unaware of all that God's going to do down through his family line. He's just stepping out here. He's, he's been anointed with oil when he was a young boy because God promised him he would, have, he would be king of Israel. And he's gone through the mill, he's had hard days with Saul. And then he's come out of that and he's now all of a sudden crowned king by these men of Judah. But we saw over the last week or two that this man called Abner, who who was previously the the general of Saul's armies, how he decided he was going to anoint somebody else to be king of the other 11 tribes. Poor old David, 
He's sitting up in one tribe, but all of a sudden this young man called Ish Boshef. Now that's a hard word for somebody with a lisp to say. So I'm going to say it again, Ish Boshef. So Abner has crowned, we'll call him Ish. <laughs> Abner's crowned Ish and put him up on the throne. Okay? And, and he's really a very weak king. I mean, he just lets Abner get on with it because he's a weakling. And actually his name means man of shame. And so we suddenly find ourselves with a man whose name means man of shame. He is now sitting on the throne of 11 of the tribes of Israel. And David is sitting with one tribe, the tribe of Judah. Do you wonder why I called our, our, our talk today, why I put this title on it? Don't let shame rule. In this particular situation, the man of shame, Ish Bashath, he was on the throne. Literally, he was ruling. He was ruling the majority of Israel. And he had been placed there by this man called Abner. And, and I just really felt like God wanted me to say to you that he does not want you to let shame rule in your life. Just as harmful as jealousies and bitterness are, so is shame. And God does not want shame to be part of our lives. He wants us to be free of it. I love this quote. I'm not sure if it was Christine Kane or somebody else. It might have been Catherine Walden. I'm not sure, but here was the quote. Breaking free from shame is a grand, ongoing adventure of discovering the depths of God's love and the huge scope of God's power to transform us recreate us and continually renew us she says i have learned that breaking free from the shackles of shame is not an overnight experience or a quick fix 10-step process it is however this grand ongoing adventure of discovering god's love you see it's knowing that we are loved that takes away the shame and when we surrender in love to jesus we experience his love and we love him back and all of a sudden we're lifted out of the mundane into the extraordinary way to live. Do you know we can live with our heads down full of shame, always trying to seek gratification for ourselves, always trying to get people to like us, always trying to be working moves. We can live like that but you know what? It's never going to satisfy us. The only thing, the only person who will ever satisfy us is Jesus Christ, knowing him in total surrender to his love and allowing him to rule in our lives. Not allowing any shame to rule in our lives, but allowing Jesus to be crowned king of all. That's what God wants us to experience. There's a psalm that I, I love, uh, not a psalm, a proverb, Proverbs 11 and 2. It says, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. I love this because, you see, because we're human, uh, let me tell you, I know this because I know myself, okay? Because we're human, one moment we're full of pride, and then we dip, immediately we begin to get, you know, false notions about ourselves, we dip down into, into shame. And actually, that's the way the enemy wants us to go. He wants us to ricochet from pride down to shame, from shame up to pride. But God doesn't want that for us. God wants us to walk. God wants us to walk in the truth of who we are, that we are neither prideful nor shameful. We are God's daughters. We are the royal daughters of the king. And that when we walk, we walk between shame and pride. 
We walk in truth. We walk as who God has created us to be. And that is freedom, ladies. That is freedom. That's what God wants us to experience. And the only way that we can actually do that is by allowing God's love to fill us. I love this Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 20. I'm reading it to you in the New King James because I kind of like it, even though it's old-fashioned. Maybe just call me old-fashioned lady, but I love this. God wants us to experience the the fact that Christ could dwell in our hearts through faith. That we could be rooted and grounded in love. Now imagine being rooted and grounded in God's love. To know that God loves you the way you are, that that you are actually rooted into his love. I mean, that is powerful. I think that would be a real good thing to meditate on. What does it mean to be rooted That means your roots go right down into his love. That means that you know where you're standing and where you're rooted and where you belong in Christ because your roots go down into him. That is an amazing way to live. That we'd be rooted and grounded in love and we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. Now take a moment. The width. It's so, do you remember the wee song we used to sing as kids? So wide, you can't get around it. So high, you can't get over it. I mean, God's love is just something more than we can imagine. It's, it's more than human love. I mean, we need to waken up and understand that he loves us with this love that's so wide that we can't get around it. That it's so high that we'll never climb over it. That it's so deep, it goes so deep, girl. No matter how down you feel, his love goes deeper down. <laughs> I mean, we are surrounded, we are held in love. And you know, as we surrender ourselves to this God, we experience this love. Do you know what stops us experiencing it? When we resist it. When we don't surrender. Then we don't experience the joy of it. Because we're trying to do it ourselves and we're trying to sort stuff out ourselves. And all we're doing is making a deeper hole that's going down into nothing. It's never going to satisfy us. Only the love of Jesus Christ can satisfy you and satisfy me. And so God wants us to be free of shame and he wants us to know this love. It goes on to say that we we would know the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. In other words, we know something that's actually impossible to know to the fullness. It's greater than we could imagine. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, God wants us to be full of him. He doesn't want us to be empty and, and like rocking about the place with no purpose, with no sense of being loved. He wants us to to walk without shame, knowing that we are loved daughters, knowing that he is with us and he is for us. But you see, we do have an enemy. We have an enemy who does come against us to try and rob us from that love. Because I'll tell you what, the enemy wants shame to rule over your life. And this is what sin does. I mean, way back in the book of Genesis, do you remember whenever, whenever... Eve and and then Adam, do you remember whenever they took the fruit? The first thing they noticed was when they disobeyed God, when they decided that God wasn't trustworthy and they couldn't really trust him, and they decided that they would they would take the fruit and 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 because they thought they knew better than God, and the enemy said, Well, if you take the fruit, you know, you'll know more than God. So they actually thought that they could do better without God. So when they sinned, what was the first thing they discovered? They were naked and they were ashamed. And that's the trouble with sin. 
when we do it in our own strength and in our own wisdom, we end up feeling shamed. But God never meant us to be shamed. We were not created for shame. We were created for glory. And the reason that Adam and Eve, the reason that they felt so naked and they were so ashamed was because when they sinned, they lost the glory that God had put over them. We've been looking at peacocks recently and the glory of these peacocks. I've got another feather today, by the way, girls. But, you know, we've been looking at, at just a picture of God's glory. Do you know something? That, that we lost the glory through sin in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus came back to restore to us what was lost. And he walks, wants us to walk with him in his glory, and he wants us to bathe in his glory. What was, the, what, was the, what was the first thing they experienced? They experienced shame in the Garden of Eden. But what, what did God do? What did God do? He covered, let me just read it to you because I read it this morning and you know, it really, really blessed me when I read these words this morning from Genesis chapter three, if I can just find it here quickly. Um, what verse is it? Can anybody shed it up to me there? Genesis three, verse 20. Yeah, so... Uh, Yes, that's it. And the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. I, you know, I, I couldn't get over that this morning. I read that. God making clothes. God making clothes to put over us. Imagine. The first time we see it in the Bible, you know, there's a law of first mention in the Bible that the first mention something, uh, something's in the Bible is very, very important. Imagine the Lord made these clothes. What did he make them from? From a sacrificed animal. What, what did it picture? It pictured Jesus Christ who would come and give his life. The first picture in the Bible. Immediately we sinned and became naked and ugly and all of this shame all over us. What does God do? He kills an animal and he makes us clothes to cover us. You know, there's a psalm that I, uh, not a psalm, I keep saying psalm, it's a proverb. There's a proverb that I just love. It's Proverbs 25 and 2. It says, it's the glory of the Lord to cover a matter. I love that with God. God loves to cover our shame. You know, so often in my life, there's been things that I've been so ashamed of. Is there anything in your life you're ashamed of? Do you know there's so much shame in my life? And there's been times when I thought, oh my goodness, if anybody found that out about me, I would die. You know the way you have this, oh, if they found that out about me, my goodness. And you feel so, so ashamed. But you know what's blessed me? That verse in Proverbs has blessed me so many times. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Do you know what? He covers my shame. And he covers yours. And there's been times when he has covered up stuff that was never found out because of his grace and his goodness in my life. I don't know about yours, but he's a God who loves to cover. You know, what is it about us that so often we want to expose somebody? That's not God's heart. God wants to cover. God wants to, God wants to take away our shame. And so we see, here's the picture, and I will finally get around to, to talking about David here. We're a bit of a tangent, aren't we? The thing was that here's, the, here's these 11 tribes and this man of shame, Ish, we'll just call him Ish, he's, he's sitting on the throne, although he's not really ruling. Abner is the one who is ruling. But this is what God spoke to me about this week, that we are not to let shame rule in our lives. Jesus went to the cross. 
It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before us. That's you. You're the joy. You're the one he was looking at and his heart was bubbling up with joy as he saw you. And he went to the cross because of the joy that you gave him as he saw you. He saw you. And he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame. Do you know he took your shame and he took mine in his own body on the cross. The wonder we sung there about that song, I just love that one line particularly in that song where it said that Jesus, the God of ages, stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. Isn't that amazing? That he has set us free from shame. So he wants us to live, he wants us to rule in life with him. He wants us to, to experience what it is to have him on the throne of our lives, not shame. And he wants us to be free of that. But you know, the enemy is always working against us. Let's just read from Second Samuel. We're finally getting around to Second Samuel chapter, where are we? Chapter 2, verse 11. Okay, it says that David made Hebron his capital and he ruled as king of Judah for seven years. And you'll see before that that Esbosheth was ruling also the other tribes. Now look at verse, verse, um, verse 12. One day Abner, remember it was Abner now who put the man of shame, put Esbosheth on the throne. Abner uh, led the troops and he went, it says he went to a place called Gibeon, verse 13. But at the same time, Joab, son of Zuriah, led David's troops out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about these two men. First of all, Abner had been the general of Saul's armies, and he was the one who had enthroned Esbosheth. And here we have Joab suddenly appearing on the scene. Now, you'll see I have put in your notes that the enemy usually works in the background, and he usually works against you and against me. And here is the story. There were three men who were with David in the wilderness. And they were his nephews, his sister's sons. And they were called Asahel, Abishai, and Joab. And Joab's about to come to the forefront. Now, you might remember in some of the stories that we looked at over the recent weeks, in 1 Samuel 26, do you remember the place where, where Saul uh, happened to come on where David came on Saul and could have killed him but he, but he didn't. Do you remember that story? Well, Aspishai was actually with David on that particular occasion and he's mentioned in 1 Samuel 26 and it was him who tried to encourage David to go ahead and kill Saul. So these were three brothers, Asahel, Abishai and Joab and I'll tell you there were three rough boys. They were, they were rough and they were violent men. And we're going to see that, that Joab particularly was going to set himself up. Out of these three, Joab was going to set himself up as leader of David's armies. The reason I put this in was because it's so important to see what happens in the background in David's life. And I want to suggest to you that you and I need to be careful what's going on because the enemy works sometimes in the darkness around us. And, and David didn't realise it, but these three guys were getting very strong in the ranks. And one day, this man, Abner, 
decided that he would go and he would meet with Joab. Isn't it amazing how, how like meets with like? Abner and Joab were very similar. They were both men of war. Joab was a, a leader. He was a fighter. He was a general. So was, so was Abner. And they both met together. And this is, remember now, neither of these two men are sitting on the throne. This is them coming outside the throne. And they're coming together. And Abner's saying to, uh, to uh, Joab, what about we have a bit of a duel here between these men? So they get 12 men from Abner's side and they get 12 men from David's side and they, they give them a sword each and they tell them just fight each other and it, it turned out to be a real bloodbath because each man just caught each other and they just killed each other and just both dropped to the ground. I mean, what a silly thing to do. And because of that bloodbath and because that David in the house of David, they, were, they, kind of, they, they kind of won the battle, Abner took off running and this young man, Joab's younger brother, Asherhel, took after him. And he started to chase Abner. Now, I'm not going to read all of this because I'd love you to read it when you get home. But here's the thing. Joab, he's watching. And this young fella, Asherhel, lifts his spear and starts running after this old, wily old general, Abner. And Asherhel is determined that Abner's going to die. And so he starts chasing him. And the older man, he's shouting behind, go away. I don't want to kill you. Go away. I don't, I don't want to get in bad terms with your brother Joab. Get away. Go back. Go back. And the young fella keeps running. How, isn't it amazing how sometimes foolishly we keep running after something whenever we'd be far better to turn away? Yeah. And isn't that what young people do? Keep running even though it's running towards danger. And so this young fella, he keeps running and eventually this old wily general Abner, he just gets fed up and he just takes his spear and he just puts it behind him and he kills Asherhel on the spot. Now why am I telling you this? Because we're going to see as this story pans out that there was a great argument here, a great feud now going to take place because Joab was absolutely beside himself that his brother was dead. And he was blaming Ahab, he was blaming Abner, and, and this was going to start an ongoing saga between these two men that was not going to turn out well. Who is it that stirs people up? Who is the one that's in the darkness, in the background, stirring people up to, to fight with each other? Who is it? It's the enemy, isn't it? And I want to say to you, and I say it in my own life, how often we need to just calm ourselves right down. Because you know what? Sometimes there's something going on in the background and we could easily get caught into it. And we could easily start to get all emotional and all irate and ready to fight. And you know what? If we just calm ourselves down, we would, we would recognise the hand of the enemy working in situations around us. I wonder if you've got situations going on in your life at the minute where the enemy would just love you to get absolutely ripping and get tied into somebody and ready to punch somebody. <laughs> Isn't that right, but are we not all like that? Yeah. Do you know what? We need to be careful what the enemy's doing in the background. Who is he stirring up against who? What dirt is he doing in the background? Because the enemy is so sneaky and he will try to create problems in your life. And all of this time, David's sitting up ruling on the throne. And he's unaware, at least it would seem from reading the scriptures, that he's not actually engaging with these men at all. He's not giving any directives. He's just letting them get on with it. And sometimes in our lives, we can let things happen in our lives and we don't actually get engaged and we don't actually 
ask God, what could we do here to sort things out? And so David, things were kind of, it was kind of being blindsided by these men. These men had become so strong. And I want to tell you that, that, that the enemy wants to bring people around you that are strong and ready to tear things apart in your life. And we need to be careful and asking God for wisdom. I just wrote in your notes, be careful who and what you allow to rise up and get close to you because the enemy wants to operate through them to influence you in wrong ways. Do not be blindsided. We're supposed to be watchful. We're supposed to keep our eyes open. And we're, not that, we're, that we in any way should be taken up by all that the enemy does, but we need to be aware that he's there. And if we're focused on God and asking God for wisdom, he'll tell us when we need to watch out. We need to just keep ourselves, our eyes on the Lord. So here's what happened. These two men, they actually ended up with this young man, Asherhel, dead on the ground. And David was, it seems to be, was kind of a bit complacent, a bit distracted. Over the last while, we have had this real sense that the enemy's trying to distract us. Isn't that right, Jerry? A few of us have been talking about that. We've really sensed the enemy trying to distract us with other stuff. And I'll tell you, the enemy will make all kinds of little fires around you to distract you from the real thing. And it seems this is what was happening here. And God wants us to stay alert. I love 1 Peter 5, verse 8, where it says, Stay alert, watch out, for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand against him and be strong in your faith. Just before that verse, it says, Give all your worries and cares to him for he cares for you listen we do have an enemy who is like a lion but we have a greater one the lion of the tribe of judah the one who has prevailed the one that we we know has already been victorious on our behalf so we see that there's all of this stuff going on in this kingdom and we see that it says now let's just look at second samuel 3 verse 1 it says this was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger, while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. I, I love that. I love this idea of David getting stronger and stronger while the house of Saul got weaker and weaker. Do you know that, what this reminds me of? It reminds me of how, of how our flesh can either get weaker or weaker, weaker and weaker, or stronger and stronger. God wants us to weaken the flesh so that the spirit can get stronger and stronger. These two houses, did you notice it too? There's a house of Saul and the house of David. The house of Saul, that's the one that's ruled by the man of shame. The house of David, that's the one that's ruled by the man after God's own heart. Which one's getting stronger? David's getting stronger, the man after God's own heart. And it reminds us of the long war. Now listen, folks, we know it is a long war because we have known this war for a very long time. The long war between our flesh and spirit, between all that is right and godly in our lives and all that is wrong and shameful. I've written in your notes, after we come to know God as Saviour, we begin to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Philippines 2. And as we acknowledge his lordship in every area, this means a constant ongoing work of the Holy Spirit as he graciously empowers us to and shows us how to live a life 
like Christ to the glory of God. Isn't that amazing that that's the possibility that we have? I mean, if we could only get this, Galatians 4.19 talks about, it actually shows us, I'm not going to read it, but you can read it when you go home, but it shows us that there's a possibility for Christ to be formed in you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that Christ can, can be formed just the way a baby grows in our womb and takes up more and more space in our womb? Christ wants to become greater. He wants us to allow him to be formed in us that we will carry more and more of his presence everywhere that we go. And God wants us to experience the joy of his presence. And I often say we're like the Old Testament where they carried the tabernacle around. We are the tabernacle. Christ is in us. We carry him everywhere we go. And, and so God wants us to experience what it means to work out our salvation. David was at the point in his life where he was ruling one little tribe, but he had to, he had to, he had to come to a point where he was going to rule all the tribes. And you know what? When you and I get saved, we experience Jesus Christ as our Savior, but God wants us to experience him more and more as Lord, not just of this little bit and that little bit, not just this little tribe and that little tribe. God wants us to experience Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but as Lord of all. Every department, every part of our lives, that he is the one who is enthroned, that he is the one, he is the one that we trust and we, we experience living every day. This means crucifying our flesh and living in the spirit so that Christ might be seen in our lives as we grow spiritually stronger. Galatians 2 and 24, I am dead with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Imagine that Christ lives in you. If you have, if you have asked him to be your saviour, and I'm just thanking God right now that somebody did do that just before we started today. Somebody passed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light just before Egal started today. Isn't that amazing? And if there's anyone else in here today and, and you don't really know what we're talking about and you've never really experienced Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord, if you don't know what it's like to experience his love, if you don't know what it's like to be rid of shame, then what I tell you, God wants to speak to you today. Now's your opportunity. And if you don't know Jesus, come and receive him as your saviour. And if you do know him, but you've somehow got, allowed yourself to drift and you've gone down wrong paths and you've, you've tried it your own way and you've got into a place of shame, you know what? Come and see us afterwards because God wants to take that shame off you. And he wants you to rule not just over the one part of your life, but he wants you to rule over everything. He wants you to, to rule with Christ. He wants you to allow Christ to take over so that he will be the one who will give you the power to win victories in your life. Now here's the thing, we've seen already that, uh, that the enemy was working in the background to create this problem and this friction between Joab and Abner. We're going to see that Abner ended up being a fool, but I suppose anybody that, that thrown enthrones a man called man of shame, anybody that sits a man of shame on the throne is a fool. And we're going to see that actually towards the end that he ended up being an even greater fool. You know what? God wants to call you today. Come away from, come away from being foolish. Come and do it God's way because that's the best way. 
And so we, we saw last time that the enemy was working behind the scenes to create all this problem and all this friction between Abner and Joab. But you know what? God works behind the scenes too. And I love the next part of the story because here's the way it goes. Let's just read it here. It says that it was the beginning of a long war. We've read that in verse 1. Just look down a little bit further. And if we're having time to read the next verses, but if we, when you go home, read them. And you'll see that one day, and I told you just love the way God works. Guess what? Do you ever experience that God works in ways that, that you would never thought of? Yeah. Well, one day, Ishbosheth and, and, and Abner are having this conversation. And Ishbosheth, he sort of thinks he'll maybe get himself straightened up a bit and he'll maybe just reprimand Abner a bit because Abner was doing a couple of things he didn't like. And guess what? Abner near carried the head off him. And Abner, he just got, we would say here, he got real thick. That's a Fermanagh one. He got real thick. And you know what? He stormed out and he said, well, blow me. I'm not going to keep you on the throne any longer. I'm going to turn away from you and I'm going to go and help, going to help David. And I'll get David set up on the throne. I mean, how would God ever do that? Just through a bit of an argument with these two, God's working behind the scenes. And all of a sudden, this man, Abner, who had, who had put the man of shame on the throne, all of a sudden he's just changed sides. And he's going to David now. And if we read it, he actually contacted David. Look down to chapter 2 Samuel 3 and look down to verse 12. Then Abner sent messages to David saying, doesn't the entire land belong to you? <laughs> That's a bit of a turnaround. Did you ever know that God's the God of the turnaround? <laughs> Did you ever know that the things that you're praying for and crying out for that all the time God's answering your prayers in ways that you weren't expecting. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, how did he do that? Well, that's exactly what happened here. Doesn't, here's what Abner says, doesn't the entire land belong to you? Make a solemn pact with me and I will help you turn over all of Israel to you. All right, David replied, but I will not negotiate with you unless you bring my wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come. Just wanted to put that wee bit in because it's important for later on in the story. It's a strange one, isn't it? You see, you've got to go back a little bit to the story of David's first wife, who was Saul's daughter, Michael. And do you remember how Michael didn't go out to whenever David was in the wilderness? She didn't follow David into the wilderness. Do you remember how she just stayed with her father and how eventually Saul married her off to somebody else called Paltiel? Well, things were left just not right because I don't know whether she got a proper divorce or not or what, but anyway, Saul decided he would overrule everything and uh, suppose despite David's face, he married her to this man. But now that David's about to get all the kingdom, he's laying, couldn't you laugh? One minute he's, he's kind of thinking, how am I ever going to get those 11 thrones? And all of a sudden he's thinking, I think I'll negotiate. I think I'm in a strong position here. I'll negotiate. Do you know why? Because he was trying to get his house in order. Now, he had already married more wives than he should have. You'll see this in the story. And actually, he was going against the scriptures. You know what? I just want to say to all of you, when we hear the story of David, we're going to see a man who was human and who got things wrong, just like we do. 
But we're going to see how he learned by his mistakes. And later on in life, David would learn from his mistakes of, of taking too many wives. Because the Old Testament uh, actually warned against that. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 17, God had said the king must not take many wives because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. So he wasn't doing completely the right thing by the Lord. But isn't it amazing that God still showed him grace? And isn't it amazing whenever you and I get things wrong that God still shows his grace? What kind of a God have we got? He is a God full of grace. No wonder when Jesus presented himself in John's Gospel, it says he was full of grace and truth. An amazing God, full of grace. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by your poverty he could make you rich. 2 Corinthians 12 says, My grace is sufficient for you. He's a God of grace. He's a God of all grace. He's a God who blows us away with his grace and his kindness. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins, and he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Wow, what a God we have, a God of grace. And so David was taking all these wives, but God was still being a God of grace towards him. And whenever he brought Michael to him, it says that they brought Michael up to David and her husband Paltiel followed her and cried the whole way up. Now, when I read that, you know, it kind of touched my heart. We're going to talk about Michael separately in a few weeks' time, and we're going to give a whole morning just to her. Because I think there's a lot of stuff to be learned from Michael and the wrong judgments and the pain and all the rest. But you know, whenever a marriage breaks up, and I know because my marriage broke up, do you know what happens? Sin happens and pain is always the result. God hates divorce because it results in pain. And you know, God, God loves us and Thank the Lord he took me through my divorce, and he does. But, you know, sin causes pain. And this man, Paltiel, cried the whole way, the whole way along the road, as his wife was being returned to David. And as I say, we're going to look at that another time. But it seems that David was trying to get his house in order. It seemed that politically and domestically he was trying to get things in order because he was just about to step onto the throne. He was just about to finally experience God's promise being fulfilled. Do you know, God always keeps his promise. God had anointed David as a young boy and he anointed him to be king when he was just a little teenager. And then when he was going to become king of the tribe of Judah, he was anointed again. And now he's at the point where he was just about to be anointed for the third time, but it just hadn't happened yet. We're going to look, look at that next week. But I just want to finish up with what happened before he became king. Because Abner was now pally pally with David. And he was up at David's palace. They had this conversation. They were working things out. Abner's now saying, do you know what? I'm working for you. I'll sort them. I'll get the tribes all set up now. He's now, he's jumped sides and he's now all for David. And after that, they'd had their conversation, he left David in peace. And off they went. And uh, Abner hadn't gone five minutes to the next thing. Joab arrived. He'd been out with some of the men. He'd been out doing a raid. You can read this all when you go home because we haven't time to read it all. 
And he came in and somebody said, oh, did you happen to see Abner in the way out? And, and, and Joab says, what? That man, Abner, who let him in here? And somebody said, well, David's just after having a good chat with him. So he straight up into David, can you just see him bursting into the throne room, just bursting in into David. What do you think you're doing having that Abner up here? And David said, no, he came in peace. He's going to help us, blah, blah, blah. But Joab, remember, Joab is holding what? A grudge. What did we talk about last week? We talked about bitterness and grudges and how they bring destruction. And Job is holding on to this grudge and he's bitter and he's got a bone to pick with this man. So he sends one of the messengers out and he says, go, go after Abner and tell him I want to see him and call him back. And so Abner, he comes back to the palace and he steps in. And he stepped, now he's just at the gate of Hebron. I, I've got to just tell you this, I know our time's almost finished. Hebron was a city of refuge. The Lord had set certain cities out that, that the manslayer couldn't kill you. Cities of refuge, they were called. Abner's standing in the gate, just, just outside the gate. And Job just draws him over a little bit. And he whispers as if he's going to have a conversation with Abner. And Joab, this man of war, takes his knife and he stabs him and kills him, murders him, right inside the gate. Do you know what David said afterwards? He said, Abner died like a fool because he was just within safety. If he had just stepped over, Joab couldn't have touched him. And you know, before we finish today, and we haven't time to go into all of this, maybe we'll finish it off properly next week. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't be a fool. Make sure that you're walking right with God. Make sure that you're in the city of refuge, that you're in Christ. Because you know what? We do not know what a moment brings forth. And it's so important that we are living in connection, enjoying fellowship with God. But it's so important that we know him as Saviour and Lord. Don't be... Abner was a fool to put a man of shame on the throne. But he was an even greater fool to be standing outside the city of refuge. When the manslayer came and killed him. David, David wept before everyone. He, he made sure that all of Israel knew that he had no part in this murder. David's heart was grieved. And in fact, he, David had this lovely way of speaking about his enemies in a gracious way. Remember how he sung praises over Saul? And you know, he said, he said to all of Israel at the funeral, he sang a song and he, and he spoke to everybody and he said, Hasn't the great prince fallen this day? He spoke honourably about him. You know, I would love, ladies, there's something that breaks the power of the enemy when we speak well of other people. When we choose to see the good in somebody else and we declare good over them, there's something that breaks the power and the plans and the schemes of hell whenever we as God's children have a heart like God's to love and to speak well over our enemies. We've got to recognise Satan as our enemy. We've got to, we can't speak well of him. But for human beings, we've got to speak well and recognise that the enemy operates. It's not the human being that's the trouble. It's the person behind. It's the power of hell that's operating through that person. We talked last week about not judging people. We need to know that God can see the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. We haven't time to look at this um, at, the, at the rest of this properly, really, except I just feel it's really important to say that David kept trusting God. At the end of, of this story, he said, 
these men are too, these Joab and his brothers, he says, they're too strong for me. They're too harsh for me. But, you know, he didn't do anything about it. Joab was rising up the ranks. Joab was getting stronger. Joab was a man of war, and he was ruthless in so many ways. And David didn't actually deal with that. But we need to deal with the stuff that's going on in our lives. We're the other side of the cross, girls. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We can see the enemy under our feet. We can experience power in our lives. At the end of Psalm 18, Psalm 18 was written by David after Saul was gone, after he had won the victory. And here's what he said, the last few few verses of, this is David writing. He says, the Lord lives, praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He subdues the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. The enemy was trying to keep David from fulfilling the purpose that God had for him to rule Israel. The enemy will try to stop you from fulfilling the destiny that God has over your life. You need to be like David and declare it that God is for you. He rescues you from your enemies. David said, "He holds you hold me safe from the reach of my enemies. You save me from the violent opponents. David knew what it was when men rose up against him. David knew what it was to, to speak well of others, but to trust God to be his deliverer. And God wants you and I to know that strength. Here's what David said, For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You have great victories. To your king, you show unfailing love to your anointed, to David and all his descendants. I want to tell you that every single one of you who have trusted Jesus as Saviour and Lord today want you to know you're not only saved, you have the Holy Spirit, and you are anointed for purpose. You're anointed to rule with Jesus. You're anointed and ready to receive his love and to walk in this love relationship through life and to experience God leading you and directing you and controlling your life, setting you on the throne bringing you into your destiny. I would just love today that we could see shame being a wife's office. It's not part of who you are. You're a daughter of the king. You're beautiful. You're beautiful in his eyes. He loves you. And he wants you to walk knowing that you're loved. And when you do that, shame falls off you. And as you walk in his love, you begin to feel his power energizing and directing and bringing you into all that he has for you. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that you might speak it deeply into our hearts today. Lord, we don't want to be walking around carrying shame because you paid for it, Lord. You paid to take it off us. So I just pray today, Lord, that you would speak individually to every woman in this place. And I pray, God, as we sing this song, we remember the power of your cross. Lord, what you came to do, Lord, you came to set us free. Thank you, Lord, there was a deep chasm, Lord, between us. But thank you, Lord, that you have come and you have won the day. Thank you, Lord, as we sing, we can sing with a full heart, a heart full of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just rise and sing this song. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Let's really sing this. You know, we're looking at David every week, and we love him, don't we? We just love this, I've always loved this character, David. But you know, he's only the shadow, he's only the the picture of who the greater king was. Jesus was coming. David, in his weakness, you know, and and we see his weakness, 
But through him, through the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus was going to come a real man. And he's come to set us free. And, and he's a roaring lion. He's the lion that sprang out of this tribe of Judah that David was reigning. And before we leave today, I know we will have prayer at the front for anybody that wants it. Please come. If you're, if you're feeling that God's touched you, please come up and let's pray with you. So a whole lot of people can pray with you at the front. But before we leave today, I, there's something, and Heather spoke to me earlier in the prayer meeting, and she was the one who got the picture about the lion last week. But there's something in me that feels we need to let one loud shout, yeah. one yeah. loud roar out of us. And I think the word should be hallelujah. But it needs to be a roar now. It's no good unless it's a roar. So let's go for it. One, two, three. Hallelujah!